We are in a series this month and into next month where we're talking about all the things that the Gospel of John has to teach us about uh, the presence and the work of God's Holy Spirit. When I was a kid, I, I loved to take things apart. Anybody else like that? Like my, my parents gave me one time, they gave me an old typewriter and I tore that thing to pieces. I mean, I just, I wanted to see every gear and every, you know, every switch, every button, every, every key. I wanted to take the whole thing apart, old cameras, whatever it was, toys, anything that I could take apart, I would take it apart because I wanted to see how it worked, right? And back then it was pretty simple, right? You just take the cover off and then you push the button or you pull the trigger or whatever it is. And then you say, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. You don't have to be very smart. I wasn't smart, but you know, you, you see this button is connected to this and then that's connected to that. And then that thing is connected to this thing. Oh, okay. Well, that's how it works. You pull this or you push that and it makes this happen. And then it turns this gear and then this happens. And with most machines, it's pretty simple like that, right? And, but then when we, we transitioned from sort of an analog system of everything to digital, well, now, I mean, I could take my cell phone apart and I would no more know how it works than when I started, right? It, it wouldn't work anymore. It would just be broken. And, and, and that's a little bit frustrating for some of us, isn't it? You think, I don't, I don't know how this works. How does that work? How in the world do I push a couple buttons and then all of a sudden I'm talking to somebody in another country and we can see each other? How does that work? I have no idea. It's kind of it's kind of frustrating when you want to know how does something work and it still remains a mystery. And I think for a lot of us, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, I know for me, it can be a little bit uncomfortable because I want to know how does he work? Like, how does all of that work? I mean, you talk about the Spirit and transformation and being better people and being transformed into the image of Jesus through the Spirit. But how does that work, really? I mean, like, how does that work? And when we talk about the Spirit, it seems sort of abstract, and, and, and this work of the Spirit seems kind of mysterious. I want to I challenge us to be okay with that, to be okay with the uncomfortability of that. Because if we, as I have often done, like demystify the work of the Spirit and say, okay, yeah, 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 you call it the Spirit, but it's really just this. And it's really just sort of a natural process. You do steps A, B, and C, one, two, and three, and this is how it works. And it's really just you going through the process, and that's what you call the work of the Spirit. You see, when you demystify the work of God so that you're more comfortable with it, I'm afraid what happens is you get the glory, you get the credit, because it's you doing these things, rather than ascribing the credit and the glory to the invisible working of God. And I know, again, that can be sort of an uncomfortable thing to say God is working on me and changing me and transforming me in ways that... I can't see and I really don't even understand, but I see the product of his work. Look at John chapter 3, verse 1. John chapter 3 and verse 1. This, for some of it, it'll be a little bit of a a review because we've talked about Nicodemus and we've talked about his conversation with Jesus. And in John chapter 3 and verse 1, there was a Pharisee who comes to Jesus named Nicodemus. The text says that he is a ruler of the Jews. He's part of the Sanhedrin. And this man came to Jesus by night 
and said to him. Now, we've often sort of speculated, you know, why did he come at night? Was it because he was ashamed and he didn't want his Pharisee friends or his Sanhedrin friends to know that he's coming and talking to Jesus? I mean, that's certainly a possibility. But I think it's more in keeping with John's style, John chapter 3, and then in the next chapter, John 4, we get into his conversation with the woman at the well, and that's at midday. I think it's more in keeping with John's style and the theme of light and darkness, and that some people can see and some people can't see what's right in front of them. I think it's probably more in keeping with the themes of John that what John is trying to help us to see by pointing out Nicodemus came at night was here's a person who believes that he can see, he believes that he's in the light, he's a teacher, he's a ruler, he's a religious person, he thinks he can see what's going on. In fact, that's sort of the conversation that they're about to have, is about seeing and not seeing, and being in the light versus not being in the light. So I think that's what John is helping us to to get into our mind. So he comes by night and says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. So we we can see, right? We, We can perceive that you're a teacher and that you've come from God. So here's a person, teacher, here's a a leader, here's a Pharisee, somebody who believes he can see, and he says, hey, here's what we can see. We can see that you're from God, and that no one, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus kind of turns the tables just a little bit. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I'll tell you, he says, nobody can do what you do unless they're from God. And Jesus says, I'll tell you what no one can do. No one can see what God is doing. No one can see the rule and the reign of God coming about in the world unless, unless, unless they are born again. <laughs> reborn. What is that supposed to mean, right? What, what does that mean to be reborn, to be born again? And Nicodemus is confused as well. And he says, how can a man be born when he is old, right? I've lived a long time. I have all of this experience and all of this wisdom. I can see all kinds of things. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. In order to really see and really know and really perceive, to really see the kingdom of God coming in the world, you have to be born Again, and unless you're born again, you cannot, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And so he says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Let's think about this for just a second. What what could Jesus mean that unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God? Why? Why? Why can't you see what God is doing? Why can't you see, why can't you see God's rule and God's reign coming unless you are born again? Let's think about it. I mean, how do most kingdoms come about? Most kingdoms come about through war, don't they? Most kingdoms at that time came about through chariots and spears and swords and killing and destruction, besieging cities and tearing down walls, lighting things on fire and killing people. That's the way kingdoms came about. But God is doing something brand new. 
God is doing something totally unexpected and totally different. He's bringing his rule and his reign. He's bringing down the enemies. He's triumphing over them. He's putting them, as as Quentin read in Colossians, he's putting them to open shame, not with swords, not with spears, not with arrows, not with armies, not with chariots, not with fire, but in the cross. What? In the, in the cross. In the cross. God is triumphing over the forces of darkness and evil in the world. And he's bringing his kingdom through the faithfulness to God and the self-giving love of Jesus on the cross. God is bringing his rule and his reign. And, and, and that's exactly what Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. Go read that this afternoon. Excellent text in this issue, on this subject. Paul would say, look, the word of the cross, the message of the cross, is foolishness to Greeks, right? It it sounds foolish. God, how are you going to win back your people? How are you going to break the bonds of sin and death that hold them? How are you going to bring them into your family so that you can shepherd them and love them and cause them to have eternal life? How are you going to bring that about? Through the cross. And Paul says to to the Greeks, that's foolishness. And to the Jews, it's scandalous. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. You see, because for those of us that are being saved, we see the wisdom of God in it. Right? We see this isn't foolishness and it's not scandalous. It's brilliance. It is the brilliance and the wisdom of God. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you won't be able to see that. Or perceive that or understand that, that this is the way God is bringing his rule and his reign is through faithfulness and self-giving love, through the cross. You won't be able to see that unless, unless you are born again. Verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot Enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, I think when Jesus says you must be born of the water, I think he's talking about baptism. That has been what most translators and uh, and scholars, uh, interpreters, commentators have interpreted that over the centuries, over the last 2,000 years, the waters of baptism. But here's what I think sometimes we do one thing or the other. Either we deny the work of what happens when a person pledges their faith to Jesus in baptism, and we say, oh, no, 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 it's just the work of the Spirit. Or, or, or on the other hand, we say, well, it's just getting baptized. That's, that's what you got to do. Get baptized, and then you enter into the kingdom of God. You can see the kingdom of God. It's just, it's just you deciding, get baptized. That's, that's how it works. And again, don't we love to know how things work? I want to know how things work. How does it work? Well, you hear this message, and you believe it, and you confess your sins, and you confess that Jesus is Lord, and you're baptized, and then that, that's how it, it all happens. But Jesus says there's more to it than that. It is, it is baptism. 
and it's cleansing and it's healing and it's forgiving and it's transforming and it's the work of the Spirit. They're inextricably linked together that a person, in order to see and understand and perceive the kingdom of God and to enter into it, to begin to participate in it, to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Because that sounds foolish, doesn't it? How, how are you going to conquer the forces of darkness? How are you going to conquer evil? Through your sword or your spear or your, your fire, your chariot? No. Through your faithfulness and self-giving love. By you taking up your cross and following Jesus. But the only way you're going to enter into that new way of living into the rule and the reign of God is to be born again by the water and the Spirit. Does that, does that mean that we need to be baptized? Yes, absolutely. Does it mean that it's, it's me and my efforts that if I decide to get baptized, I'm sort of saving myself and trans... No, it's the work of the Spirit. Well, well which one is it really more? No, no, no. It, it's both. And we try to break things down and see how they work. And we forget this is the work of God. And when you see Jesus as the Savior that he is, and you say, I, I trust you. You're the one to redeem me and set me free. And I need you not only to wash away my sins, but to transform me so that I can see things I couldn't see before and understand things I couldn't understand before and do things I couldn't do before and live a sort of life I couldn't live before. The way of the cross. I want to see the word of the cross as the wisdom of God. Not as foolishness, not as scandalous, but as wisdom. And that only happens according to Jesus when you're born again by the water and the spirit. The wind, Jesus says, verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes And you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Do you remember last week when we talked about the fact that both the Hebrew word for spirit and the Greek word for spirit is is wind or breath? And it's a great metaphor, isn't it? Because it is the presence of God going out into the world and, and setting things in motion. And Jesus says, look... You, you as a teacher and as a Pharisee and as a part of the Sanhedrin, you, you, you think you see and you think you know and you think you understand, but it's the invisible work of God that's causing these things to come about. This is the Spirit of God at work in the world. And, and I'm afraid what I've tended to do is, is sort of demystify all of this and the work of God and failed to give glory to God for the transformation that's happening in me and in you. For the transformation that's happening in the world. Do you remember how we talked about all of the prophets that had prophesied Isaiah and Ezekiel and Joel and how the prophets had said that someday that God was going to pour out his spirit into Jerusalem and into Israel and into the world and how it was going to, how the spirit of God was going to bring life and healing, and forgiveness, and transformation. That is what has happened in the world and in you. 
if you surrender yourself to Jesus and you say, I want to be transformed, reborn, born again by the water and by the Spirit, and allow the Spirit of God to cause you to see the word of the cross not as foolishness, not as scandalous, but as wisdom. Now, look at uh, Titus chapter 3 and verse 1. I, I don't usually like to skip around a whole lot, but I think that this is so parallel to what we're talking about. It's incredibly important because what does this rebirth look like? What does it look like when the Spirit is at work in your life? Sometimes I think we go to the extreme and we, we totally demystify the work of the Spirit and we just say, well, it's, it's really just me. I'm studying the Bible, I'm praying, I'm doing what I'm supposed to, therefore I'm being transformed. And we sort of ascribe all of the work of the Spirit to ourselves. But on the other hand, I think sometimes we ascribe to the Spirit things that don't actually sound like what the scriptures say the spirit is doing and i think we have to be very careful that that we're, we're studying what what the scriptures say this is the work of the spirit in your life now paul says to to titus about the churches in crete that he's working with he says here's here's your work okay remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of very few people? Is that what it says? To speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling, unless it's on Facebook, right? No. no. <laughs> to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Right? Now, does that sound like the word of the cross? Yes. Faithfulness to God, self-giving love of neighbors. And he says, this is why, this is how and why you can treat other people this way. Because we ourselves were once foolish, once disobedient, once led astray, once slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's who we used to be. All of us used to be that. We used to be people that hated and people that were bitter, people that were disobedient, people that were led astray, people that were slaves to various passions and pleasures. But, verse 4, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He saved us. Why should I treat other no good, lousy, terrible people? They don't deserve for me to show them perfect courtesy. They need to be quarreled with. Everybody needs to be quarreled with every now and then. I got to treat them like they deserve to be treated. And Paul says, no. That's not the way Christians behave. Why? Well, because we were once all of those things. We were once just like that. We, we were hating people and we were fighting and we were quarreling. We once used to be that, but God showed up. His loving kindness and his goodness appeared and he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the, now listen to what he says, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Washing? Does that sound a whole lot like what Jesus said about water 
and, and renewal and regeneration. And, and so again, we, we try to break it down and we say, okay, well, is the baptism regenerating or is the spirit regenerating? Is, is the baptism what renews you or is it the spirit that renews you? Stop. Why do we do that, right? Why? Yes. Yes. When you pledge your faith to Jesus, you're buried with him, united with him in baptism, the spirit goes to work in you and on you. The whole point of what Paul is saying to Titus is it wasn't you. It was him. It was God who washed you and regenerated you and renewed you and caused you to be reborn. And because you are renewed and regenerated and reborn, you cannot keep fighting with people and hating people and quarreling with people and treating people like they deserve to be treated. You used to live that kind of way, but you've been reborn and you've been regenerated and you've been renewed. Baptism and the work of the Spirit are inextricably linked together. I I didn't finish verse 6. I apologize. The washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he, God, poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It is his work. Does that mean you don't have to be baptized? Of course it doesn't mean that. Again, baptism and the work of the Spirit are inextricably linked. You don't was it baptism or is it the work of the spirit? Yes. Yes. Is it is it studying my bible or is it the spirit working in me? Yes. Can can, can I can I just let the spirit go to work on me and I don't have to study my bible? No. The spirit works through the message and the word of the cross. But can I just study my bible and get baptized and forget about all this holy spirit stuff? No, you can't. They're inextricably linked so that the credit and the glory goes to God for giving us his spirit and causing us to be reborn and regenerated and washed and renewed. So what is the evidence of being reborn and regenerated and renewed by the water and the spirit? It's that you grasp the wisdom of God's cross-shaped kingdom, right? The evidence that you have been reborn and regenerated and renewed by the water and the spirit is that you can see, that's what Jesus says, that you can see and that you can enter into his cross-shaped kingdom. And here's what Paul says in Titus that it looks like. Things like this, submissive and obedient to rulers and authorities, ready for every good work, speaking evil of no one, Avoiding quarreling, gentle, showing perfect courtesy toward all people. You you see it. You see that this is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is that you cannot, you cannot, Romans chapter 12, you cannot overcome evil with evil. Evil can only be overcome with good, good. Overcome evil with good. You take up your cross and follow Jesus. Your faithfulness and self-giving love is how you participate in what God is doing in the, in the world. 
And again, the, the secular world looks at that and says, that's foolish. It's foolish to be meek. It's foolish to, to turn the cheek. It's foolish to somebody forces you to go a mile, go with them to all of that. That's foolish. And we say, no, it's not. It's the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. In fact, Paul would say the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. God is putting to shame the wisdom of man, the forces of evil and darkness in the world. He's triumphing over them in the cross. And and when we're reborn by the water and the spirit, we see this wisdom and we embrace this wisdom. It doesn't mean we live out this perfectly. Well, I'm not doing all that perfectly, Wes, so I must not be reborn by the water and the spirit. And of course not. But do you see the wisdom of it? Do you see that this is the way that the church as the body of Jesus overcomes evil is through good by taking up our cross and following Jesus because that can only be seen, Jesus says, and Paul says, 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, it can only be seen by spiritual people, by people that are being changed by the water and the spirit. So the moment of truth question we like to ask every week Have you been reborn? Have you been reborn? And and if so, if you have obeyed Jesus and united with him in baptism and you've allowed the spirit to go to work on you and and you're beginning to see the wisdom of these things, the wisdom of the cross, the wisdom of the word of the cross, keep embracing that and, and keep giving credit and glory to God. We can't take the credit from him. If we say, well, why have you experienced such transformation in your life? Well, it's because I read my Bible. It's because I pray a lot. It's because I decided to get baptized. It's because I go to church. Do you need to do all of that? Yes, and in that and through that and with that, the Spirit of God is working powerfully, but the credit and the glory has to go to God and not to me. Because our obedience... And this sort of cross-shaped life is lived out through gratitude, humility. Not through the pride of saying, well, it's because I work really hard at being a Christian. It's because the Spirit of God is causing us to change the way we see and change the way we think and change the way we live. And yes, yes, you have to participate and be united with Jesus in baptism and, and read and study the word of the cross Spend time with God in prayer. And in all of those things, the Spirit of God is working in you. But it's Him who causes rebirth and regeneration and renewal. But maybe you haven't begun that journey yet. Jesus loves you. And He wants to break the chains that the world and the false gods have on you. Someone said earlier that all of the the promises of the world are empty promises, but we all believed them, didn't we? We all believed them, and we became slaves to them, and Jesus breaks those things and causes us through the Spirit to be reborn by the water and the Spirit. And if you've not been united with Jesus in baptism, or you've sort of drifted away, 
Or maybe you just need prayers of other people who are trying to walk in the Spirit. Then we want to be here for you and help you any way we can. If you haven't given your life to Jesus and been reborn so the Spirit of God can go to work in your life, then please, I beg you, don't leave here without allowing him to begin to work in you and on you and through you because he loves you and he wants you to be a part of what he's doing in the world and we want that for you as well. So if we can help you, let the shepherds pray with you after service or right now, great opportunity. Come forward as we stand and sing.